Welcome to Type It Out with T and Cass, the podcast where we talk all things Enneagram and Ag, learning and growing together in who we were made to be. I'm T. And I'm Cass. We're a couple of ranching women who are also self-professed Enneagram nerds. You may have heard of the Enneagram, but for those who haven't, the Enneagram is a personality typing system, but it's not like all the others. Where the others determine your type based on traits, your Enneagram type is determined by motivations. We're so glad you're here, and we hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back, friends. We're continuing on today with our series about how to determine your type. And today we're talking about stress and security. Our personalities are fluid and nuanced, and part of that fluidity is in where we go in stress and security, or sickness and in health, <laughs> as, as Cass lovingly refers to it. And I actually kind of like that anyway. I mean, not that you're sick if you're stressed, but I just, it flows off the tongue better than stress and security. Each type has a stress number or a type they draw from in stress and the security or growth number that they draw from when they're feeling secure and on the path of growth. Thinking about how you behave, think, and feel when you're feeling stress can be a helpful indicator in narrowing down your type. Um, it's actually one of the questions if I'm doing a typing session that I will ask, how do you, what, what happens when you're in stress? So bear that in mind as we keep going. And a little disclaimer before we dive in, where you go or where you, the number you go to or where you draw from in stress should not be thought of as a terrible thing. Your stress hole, as we've coined it, is something of a survival mechanism, saving yourself from yourself. And I always, um, something I like about the stress and security is that if you know where you're going to go in stress, you can notice when things, when you're stressed. Cause sometimes I think as humans, we don't always realize when we are stressed out because we think of stressed out as a very obvious thing. But I know for myself personally, that when I notice myself doing certain things, like it may not be, you know, we think of stress, we think of like cranky and tired and short. That's not always how your stress is going to manifest. And stress can just be, you you know, maybe you have a lot going on. Maybe something is really hard. Maybe you're not sleeping enough. Maybe you're in a difficult season, but it doesn't necessarily, like T said, it's not bad, but when you learn more about where you go in stress and security, you can notice and maybe um, either lean into that if that's what you need, or if it's if you notice that you're kind of um, going to your stress area in a way that is unhelpful, you can notice that and um, not head it off because you may need to head there, but like just notice it, be aware of it because stress is not, I think a lot of people think stress looks one way and that's not true. Stress looks different for everybody. And this really helps to helps you figure out what it looks like when you yourself are stressed and not stressed out. Just there's, there's something going on. Is that right? T? Yeah. So actually we're not going to dive into it in this episode because that would, that that's, that's deeper than just learning your type. That's actually getting into the work. But when you're, when you're self-aware and you can figure out what triggers you to go into your stress hole, which is taking on the negative traits 
average to unhealthy traits of your stress number, you can then take on the healthy traits of your stress number. Once you are more self-aware, once you've dug deep into what causes you stress. Um, so, so like Cass said, it doesn't look the same for everybody. And there, there are going to be times where you can't stop yourself from going straight into your stress hole. But there are going to be other times where you can stop and you can use the good qualities of your stress number. All right, we're going to start with type eight because we always start with type eight. As a refresher, we start with type eight because if you don't, type eights can get a little bored and check out on you unless they learn about their type first. And we always end on type seven because sevens will learn about their type first and then proceed to Googling it. So that's why we start with eight and end with seven. In stress, type eight draws from type five. So when they're in their stress hole, type eights who already repress feelings become more detached to their emotions or from their emotions, and they tend to withdraw and seek isolation away from other people. So if you are a person that finds yourself dealing with stress in that way, you might might check into the motivations of the eight and see how that feels for you. But in growth, type eights draw from the good side of type two. And so in this space, the type eight is not a bulldozer, but rather a snowplow making a way for others. And they're, they're more kind, caring, and compassionate here. So real champions for the underdog here. Type nine, in stress, our nines draw from type six. So here is when nines experience actual worry. They're more anxious and irritable when they're stressed. So again, if this feels like you, maybe you look into these motivations a bit. In growth, type nine draws from type three. So a type nine on the path of growth is confident, more likely to speak up, follow their passions and stop procrastinating. So a nine in growth is going to be, um, this is why when, when we were talking about type nines, T made sure to say that, you know, the deadly sin of sloth for nines is not laziness. And cause you know, people always tell Taryn, well, you're not lazy. Well, Taryn is often um, as long as I have known her is, is really trying to be in a place of growth. And so that's where this kicks in for the nines. They, they tap into their three and man, oh man, when a nine is in their three space, they are doing things and, uh, pushing people off of ledges, right? Do I mean, in a metaphorical way, we don't have nines running around the country committing homicide. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and we're doing things, but we're doing things that need to be done. Cause even when we're not in that growth space, we're typically doing stuff. It's just not, not necessarily things that need done. Right. Right. And I don't know what happened to you, but your audio is all of a sudden amazing. So whatever's going on here, we'll just, yeah. Well, the wind is blowing at 30 plus miles an hour today. So that might be it. <laughs> I mean, we're just, we're just going to be here. This is just uh, the space where we are, the space where we are. 
<laughs> so type ones, Cass is our resident type one. So in stress, type ones draw from type four. So they can tend to feel the emotions they don't typically allow themselves to feel. And they find themselves sitting in melancholy and feeling misunderstood. Uh, I have never seen Cass in this space to my knowledge, but my other type one, whom I'm very close with, it's uh, very up and down emotions. It's not a roller coaster. It's like a uh, bungee jumping, I think. <laughs> very high highs and very low lows. This is great this is the worst. This is awesome. This sucks. Um, so if, if you find yourself feeling that way, check into the one's motivations. And then in growth, type ones draw from the type seven. Growing ones are far more spontaneous. They're positive and fun seeking. They can relax and let loose and feel in a sense free free from the inner critic when they're in the, the growth space. Do you have anything to add there, Cass, being a one? I know that when I am stressed and I'm being melancholic um, and feeling misunderstood, I don't usually, um, people don't see that unless they're in my like very close orbit, you know, I, I, I don't know that random people, whatever, like you probably have never seen it because I don't go a, I don't go there much anymore. Um, cause I've learned to have tools to, it's one thing, like for me, when I, when I'm, when I'm stressed, sometimes I need to feel those emotions to work through whatever is going on. If I'm stressed in a bad way, I have learned to kind of take myself away because I know that when I do that, when I get melancholy and feel misunderstood and I'm up and down, that really changes the dynamic in my house. So for me personally, I try to like, I try, I put myself in timeout um, because I am very unreasonable when I am in that place. And um, the only time that that is beneficial is when uh, I'm feeling misunderstood because no one else in my house understands what it's like to live in a pit of filth. And then I rage clean and then it gets done a lot faster, but everyone needs to get out of my way. <laughs> that's where it can be beneficial, but that's probably why you've never seen it. And, um, I get sick of myself in that state really easy. So I try not to go there. I do know that when I notice myself having fun and being silly and not worrying about my to-do list as much, that's when I know that things are good because sevens aren't always fussing about their list. So that's where I try to be as mom more rather than being motivated by all the stuff that's got to get done. You know what I mean? We're just going to roll on in type twos in stress type two draws from type eight. Also, we never did mention everybody. You can see where each type draws from with the fun Enneagram diagram, that one that looks kind of like a star. That's what those arrows are pointing to. Um, or so you, you can just go look at your number. If you ever forget, you can go look and, and it'll show you what that is. We'll put it, we'll put that diagram in the show notes. And if you're listening to this and the diagram isn't in the show notes, that means I forgot to put it in there. So please remind me. 
Um, so in stress, type two draws from type eight. So twos who are normally helpful will withdraw their help and become irritable and defensive, setting boundaries they wouldn't otherwise set. So does this feel like you go look at the two motivations in growth type twos draw from try from the <laughs> we have sick, sickness and health and i'm we've been watching a lot of star wars lately so now i'm thinking of like the light side and the dark side your sis your sith side that's really hard to say everyone or your jedi side so in growth type twos are drawing from the jedi side of type four and if you're not a star wars fan um please just ignore me. This is what happens when you have a kid who gets into something. This is the space in which twos can recognize that they do in fact have needs and take care of those needs. Instead of taking in only the feelings and emotions of others, growing twos can also recognize and process their own feelings, which is, this is good. This is good team. Truly very good. And like I said, before we got started, your stress hole, like sometimes you can't avoid it, but when twos can recognize when they're headed for stress and, and, and have done some work, this is really helpful for them because when they slide into the stress hole side of two and the eight, like the negative side of eight, that's literally saving themselves from themselves because they are more willing to set a boundary there where normally they will say yes to all the things, but when they've done some work, they can use that healthy side of eight and set the boundary in a healthy way before it stresses them out. So that's really a cool thing for twos. Type threes, when our three friends are stressed, they take on the negative traits of type nine. So they meet me in the slothy slothfulness, but stress threes, they shut down, they numb out and they let all the irons they have in the fire go cold. And they can also feel the need to withdraw. In growth though, threes draw from type six. And in this place, threes become less competitive, more loyal and focused on others. And they're more willing to show who they are behind the achievements. Because remember the threes are the chameleon. So they, they take in who they believe the room needs them to be. And then they transform into that when they're in that healthy space of the type six or the, the growth side in the positive side of type six, they don't necessarily feel the need to shapeshift. And this is another one where I think it's really obvious to see why stress isn't always a bad thing. Um, because having really close friends that are type threes, sometimes they have so many things going on that it's a necessary form of self-preservation to drop all the balls, let all of those irons in the fire go cold because they are doing too much. And the, the healthy threes that I know who have been through this come out on the other side of that type nine shutdown sort of situation with a little more clarity about which irons are the ones that matter and the ones that they are doing for themselves and the ones that they are doing for someone else, someone else, or to appear a certain way. So sometimes 
stress when, where we go in stress can help us see clarity for where we need to move going forward. So that's when stress is good is when it's a, it's a preservation thing in a good way to help stop us from doing too much of whatever we do as our type. So, um, but I think in my, in my personal experience, I've seen that really obviously with threes because shutting down is so opposite from what threes typically do. And you can see it like it's a really tangible thing or, or visual. I guess you can't, maybe you can feel it. I don't know. I'm mixing my metaphors here, but again, this is very instructive for understanding how stress isn't always bad in the sense of like good and bad. Sometimes stress can, can kind of kickstart you into a path of growth. You just have to be in the mindset where you can see why you're stressed. What's what, what's causing this issue. And, and, um, like Taryn said, recognize those triggers and then grow. Right. Um, because there's a difference between shutting down and taking that time to rest and get clarity and shutting down and being in a hole and not, and just being there and just sitting in that, right. You can be, you can, you can grow in stress as well, or you can be in a stress hole, but like a bad one, (laughs) a deep one, a deep stress hole. Okay. That sounds kind of weird. I probably won't say that Wait, again. The pit of despair. That's a princess bride, right? The pit of despair. Yes, that is that is princess bride. <sighs> okay, type four. Type four. In stress, type four draws from type two. Fours in their stress hole, their pit of despair, can become over-involved, offering unnecessary help in order to fix things. They can become more possessive in their relationships out of a desire to feel close and secure. So when things are going off the rail, if you find yourself trying to to fix things and fix people, um, maybe take a look at the four motivations in growth type four draws from type one, a type, um, a type four who is growing is (laughs) makes it sound like there are some fours who are short. No, um, (laughs) a four in their growth in their, in their growth, not a whole, but in their growth spectrum growth ray. I don't know. We need to, I'm, I'm trying to make so many metaphors today. None of them are working is on a less exhilarating emotional roller coaster. Cause remember when we talked about fours, fours feel all the things all the time. And it's, it's very, it's a wild ride. So a four who is in on a path of growth is less, I don't want to say volatile, but they're a little more even keeled. Is that a better way to put it to just Kind of, Im- I'm imagining roller coasters right now, and the like. I picture their day to day emotional roller coaster as like, uh, or average roller coaster when they're in the average space, or average to like maybe slightly stressed space as being like the really scary pee your pants roller coasters and mm-hmm. the emotional upside down ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where your and, legs dangle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No hard pass, hard pass on those. The growth roller coaster, I feel like is more the 40 inches and shorter roller coasters. 
Mm-hmm. Those are my favorite or the old school wooden ones that just go fast. They don't go upside down. Yeah. They just kind of rack it around in a fun way. If you're from Colorado, I would call this the twister two, uh, that at, at Elitch gardens. Um, anyway, <laughs> so, so we're on our, our 40 inches and under roller coaster, which, uh, looks like being more principled and focused and they can find enjoyment in the mundane and not be on this like endless search for the things that they perceive will bring them more joy. They can just kind of, kind of find the joy in, in the, in, I was going to say in the everyday, but that sounds really cliche, but it's also true. Sometimes cliche things are true. Find joy in the ordinary, like Mm -hmm. make the ordinary extraordinary. (laughs) Yeah. Don't squat with your spurs on. That is true. That is true. You know, all those cliche things that we say. I don't think I've ever said that out loud and I probably never will again because it sounded really weird. So T, tell us about the fives before I say more weird stuff. So in stress, fives draw from type seven. So a stressed five who's normally reserved will become more impulsive and talkative in their stress hole. And they tend to also be unfocused, distracted, and jaded or grumpy pants. But in growth, fives draw from the type eight. So here, fives are more competent and assertive, and they trust their instincts without having to research and re-research everything. So I, uh, I would say uh, a type five who's in growth or feeling secure might be might be, I mean, probably not. They would probably still have thought it through, but they might be more confident in saying stuff off the cuff or not as thoroughly researched. Mm -hmm. Like they may rely on the research that they are, they've the information and the research they've already gathered instead of having to go do more additional research. Yes. 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 I see that. I see that. All right. Type six. In stress, type six draws from type three. So in their stress hole, sixes often find an energy they don't normally have and pour that energy into busy tasks in order to avoid their feelings. So maybe not stuff that they really need to be doing, just stuff to to keep them busy. They may also worry more about image and what others think of them, which is not something that sixes typically spend a lot of time doing. Um, so I have at least, that's a good thing to note. I I know at least two sixes who, when they're stressed out, also rage clean. They've told me, I get this like energy that I don't even know where it's coming from. And I'm just Mm -hmm. mad. And so I just clean. (laughs) Yes. I need to talk to a six who rage cleans. Cause I would imagine we range, we rage clean for different reasons. Anyway, that's a whole separate conversation. How do you clean in growth type six draws from type nine, a growing six is able to quiet the inner committee. Remember they sixes have the committee, um, similar, I mean, not quite similar to the inner critic, but they have, they have the church bake sale ladies in their head all the time and they can relax. They can quiet those folks. Um, 
give them a, a siesta and they can kind of relax a bit. They are more open, empathetic, and independent. And so from this space, type sixes can be reassurance givers instead of reassurance seekers. So our type sevens, when they are stressed out, they draw from type one, which is in stark contrast to how they normally behave because when they're stressed out, they become more critical, actually not more critical. They become critical of themselves and others. So normally happy-go-lucky sevens become restrictive and judgmental. People notice when a seven is stressed out. Not everybody may notice when the rest of us are stressed out. People will notice when a seven is stressed out. In growth, however, type seven draws from type five. So here sevens are more focused and they desire knowledge as well as fun. They can relax here and take in all that life has to offer, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And if I could whistle, I would do the good, bad, and the ugly. (laughs) But you got that. (laughs) I can't either. So we need to get a guest someday that can whistle and make us a little bit of a clip so we can have the good, the bad, and the ugly theme. So <laughs> you're a friend, you're a friend's fan, right, Cass? Uh, yeah. Okay. So when I think of a stressed out seven, I think of fun Bobby after he quits drinking. <laughs> and he's all like, hmm. Mm, yes <laughs> yes but sevens we, we don't want you to have alcohol problems <laughs> no so no we don't want you to be have dependency problems but yeah if you've noticed you're usually like super upbeat super happy seven friend is like unfun bobby and they haven't given up an addiction recently then maybe you check in with them and find out why unfun bobby is is who they're hanging out with at this time because that's that's unusual, unusual for a seven. So if you're having trouble determining your still having trouble determining your type after the questions we asked in the first episode of this series, and then going over the motivations of each type in our last episode, maybe just ask yourself, how do I behave when I'm stressed out? Because that could be a really good indicator of where you need to explore more. And if you're like, I don't even know how I behave when I'm stressed out, give it some thought, let it sit with you and and really think about it because it can be very helpful in determining, helping get you to your type or guiding you to your core type. And if you're not sure where you go when you're stressed, um, ask the people in your closest orbit, because they can probably give you an idea of what you do when you're stressed. I bet. And, and maybe, maybe they can't, but I know the people on my orbit can explain to you exactly what goes on when casting a timeout. <laughs> so, um, but again, this is just another, another tool to help you determine your type. And this is a great, place to start if you are wanting to become a little more emotionally mature. And if you find that your life is kind of volatile, you know, you're 
you get stressed out a lot and you get a little silly a lot in an, in a not good way. I think this is a good place to dive in because it can help you learn. I mean, unless you enjoy the drama of being like that all the time, (laughs) this is a good place to kind of dive in and see. And like Taryn said, kind of try and figure out what, what triggers you and then see what you can do to mitigate shenanigans. Cause not all stress is shenanigans, right? But some stress is absolutely shenanigans because you are not either. You're not giving yourself what you need, or you are not articulating to other people what you need. So I recommend starting here. And can you guys tell I'm talking from my personal experience of my own stress shenanigans, because I can be, I can be many stress shenanigans. So um, that is stress and security or sickness and then health. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you have questions about stress or security or, and security, I guess, um, let us know. You can DM us, you can email us all of our, all of the ways to get in touch with us are in the show notes. Next time we have, we have one more episode to help you figure out your type. Um, and it's going to be a little bit of a shorter one, but it's, This is one of my favorite things about the Enneagram. Next time we're going to talk about stances. And if you don't know what those are, well, then I guess we know what you are going to be doing with some of your time when our next episode comes out, because stances are, they can feel kind of in the weeds of the Enneagram, but they're not. They're a really, a really cool thing to add on to your Ennea knowledge. See what I did there? Okay. So (laughs) Taryn's nodding silently. Um, because of course you can't see what I did there. You can hear it anyway, as usual, if you enjoyed, um, what you've seen with your ears today, (laughs) please, oh, please head on over to iTunes and give us a rating and review to help us stand out from all of the other Enneagram podcasts, or like put us in the spot with the really good ones and tune in next time. And we will talk about stances. Bye friends. Recording button. All right, here we go. Welcome back, friends. That was really cheesy, but we're continuing our series about how to determine your type. And today we're talking stances. Stances are similar to the triads that we talked about in, did we talk about that in the overview episode? That's been a long time ago. I think we touched on it very quickly about, um, anger, feeling, head thinking triad. Um, do you want to go over those really fast again to remind folks the difference between triads and stances to help guide them on their path of yeah any knowledge? Okay. So yeah, we'll just go over it real quick. The triads are instinctive or gut head or thinking and heart or feeling. So the instinctive gut triad is made up of eights, nines, and ones. The heart or feeling triad is made up of twos, threes, and fours. And the thinking or head triad is made up of five, sixes, and sevens. So the stances are also made up of three types but the stances are made up of one type from each triad. So there are three numbers, but they're from different tri. All three are from different triads and they can, the stances can help shed light 
when we're determining your type. So for example, I might ask, where do you feel the most comfortable spending your time in the past, the present, or the future? So if you are someone who is um, trying to determine whether you are something um, here, I'll just use this as an example. If you're trying to determine whether you're like, say a three with a really strong two wing or two with a really strong three wing, like if you're, if you're going between two types that are right next to each other, this might be helpful. Um, a little, maybe a little more helpful than the triads because the stances are not, um, they're not like the three, four, five, you know, like two, three, four, they're not always right in a row. So maybe that can help you determine the difference between what you're thinking. And that doesn't work in every case, but this might help you differentiate if you're wiggling between two different ones. That sounds very weird. Okay. Two. Take it away. Please take it away from me. So the first stance that we'll talk about is the aggressive stance. The aggressive stance is made up of threes, sevens, and eights. So in this stance, people, the people of, from this stance or the types from this stance, they move against others and they have an unconscious drive to reshape people and situations to suit them. Each type does this a little bit differently. For example, threes use their chameleon powers to affect the situation or sway people, um, to suit them or not sway people, but they become who people, who they think people need them to be. Um, sevens use their reframing reflex. So where most people can look back at a situation and pull out the good from it, sevens do that automatically. If negative info is coming their way, they'll reframe it so that it's either fully positive or not that bad. And eights, they uh, change the situation or reshape the situation by just taking charge of it. So all the types in this stance are feeling repressed. So they do not lead with feelings. That's their last center of intelligence that they use. So centers of intelligence are thinking, feeling, and doing and, and feeling is the last one that these types use or the one that they, they don't enjoy using. Maybe not the last one that they use, but the one that they prefer not to use. And as a result, all of these types are oriented to the future because in the future, there are no feelings except positive feelings. So they, their orientation to time is the future. The next group are, is the withdrawing stance group. The withdrawing stance is comprised of types four, five, and nine. So these types move away from others and are not influenced at all by the crowd. Fours, as we know, want to be unique. They want to be individuals and they, fours, I think kind of, just kind of march to the beat of their own drum. Fives want to preserve their energy. Remember fives are the ones that 
they kind of have their gas tank and they want to, they have a certain amount of energy to use all day. So they are going to withdraw because it, they, they, it preserves energy, right? Cause withdrawing is less energy intensive and nines want to avoid having their peace and inner stability disrupted. Okay. So they withdraw again. They're all going to do that in different ways, but the folks here, this group, like the aggressive stances are feeling repressed. This, the withdrawing stance, as you might guess, is doing repressed. So that's the, the muscle that they like to flex the least. Thus, they are oriented to the past where the doing has already been done. So they don't have to expend any more energy to, to, to do that's a weird way to end it, but yes. So <laughs> withdrawing stance four, five, nine, they are oriented to the past. As a member of the withdrawing stance, I can tell you, it feels far more comfortable for me to hang out in the past than it does to be present or think about the future. It, it just feels far more comfortable back there in yesteryear. <laughs> I'm picturing you like putting on, what are those things? A Snuggie, you know, the, the wearable blankets Yeah, and like sitting down to watch old home movies in your mind. Like, let's just go live back there in the past. Kind of like that scene in, um, Christmas vacation where Clark gets stuck in the attic and he puts yeah. on all the funny clothes and sits and watch, watches old family movies. That's yeah. like what I picture y'all doing, like being cozy and just kind of hanging out back there. Reminiscing. Yeah. I mean, that's not far off. <laughs> so it's... moving on to the dependent stance. The dependent stance is made up of types one, two, and six. So one, twos, and sixes move toward others. So they're looking outside themselves for a sense of self. Ones are trying to silence the inner critic with the looking outside themselves. Twos are looking for love and appreciation. And sixes are trying to quiet the inner committee. All of these types are thinking repressed. This is because, no, try again. (laughs) All of these types are thinking repressed. Because of this thinking repression, they are oriented to the present. It's comfortable for them in the present because they don't have to think about what has happened and they don't have to think about and plan for what is to come. They can just be and be chill in the present. Do you have anything to add to that, Cass, being from the dependent stance? Um, I, I resonate with that deeply. Um, especially when I am feeling really nervous about something in the future or the past. Like, I don't like how something went or I am anticipating, um, having to do something. I often seek out others 
uh, to reassure me that everything is going to be fine and that I am capable because my inner critic is telling me that this is going to, this is a terrible idea. If it's something that I'm nervous about, um, and telling me all the reasons why this is not going to work. So I go outside of myself for reassurance, um, and kind of to get some weapons for that inner critic, like Taryn says, it's going to be fine. She says, I'm great at this. So shut up. Um, and yes, I am very much oriented to the present. And I think for myself too, as a one, I'm oriented to the present because the present is what I can change. That's what I can influence. That's where I can see all of the things that I can fix. It's in the present. Cause with, if I try to be too much in the future, I can make lots of assumptions, which is obviously not a good idea about how things are going to go or what things I'm going, I'm going to need to change, which that is just a mess of verb tenses. So yes, I find myself being very present oriented. Um, or like if something uncomfortable happened in the past, I just won't think about it. I'll pretend like it never happened. Cause I don't, I don't want to relive it. And I don't want to give myself more ammo for how I handled something. Um, so I literally just will not think about it <laughs> at all, which is not very healthy, but it's a coping mechanism, I guess, to keep from rehashing everything that I could have done better in a search in a situation that I can no longer change because it's already happened. Yeah. So hearing that some might say, well, Cass, it sounds like you actually do a lot of thinking (laughs) and you do do a lot of thinking, but how productive is the thinking that you're doing and how much more comfortable would you be if you weren't doing all that thinking? It's completely unproductive. And that's often what I'm trying to get other people to tell me is to stop thinking, um, just be, just be done with it and move on to something that you can actually have not control over, but like sometimes if I get caught in this cycle, I will, um, I will think instead of doing things that I should be doing instead, like think instead of taking action, um, which again, is a good, is helpful when you understand the Enneagram. Cause when I see that, when I'm not acting in the present, like I usually do, I understand that I have just opened up a vicious cycle and I need to stop. Um, and so for me, sometimes it looks like closing my computer, turning off my phone and going and being with my kids or, you know, just whatever to get myself. Cause yeah, it's not productive. Um, And I think Taryn, I'm glad you said that because when you're repressed in a way, like thinking, feeling, doing repressed, it doesn't mean you don't do those things, but it means that that is not your go-to for when you are being your best self usually, um, or when you're not your best self, but it's not your strongest muscle. Yeah. When you're your best self, you use all of them when you're not your best. This is the one is when you you really try hard not to do that thing. Right. Which may look like doing that thing in a really unproductive, stupid way, you know, like it's not doing that thing. Well, cause you know, like this is how I picture it in my brain. You know, when you're working out, you're lifting weights. We've all, we've all seen this, or we've seen somebody, maybe we haven't all seen this. Maybe we don't all look around at other people and critique them the way that I do but we've all been in a situation where we've seen somebody doing something wrong because it's easier. Um, body, you know, like, right. Um, you've seen somebody, um, if you're in the ranching world, you've seen somebody pulling on a horse's face 
because that's easier than learning how to use your body and your legs and yourself to cue a horse, to do what you wanted to do. We, maybe you're, you work out a lot and you've seen people lifting weights like bozos, um, and doing it wrong. That's how I think about this, this repression thing. If you are not healthy, you may do that thing, but you probably don't do it the way it needs that, that it should be done. Or you take kind of a shortcut about it. Um, and so one thing that you can do is if, when you're repressed in an area, if you know that once you know your stance, you can lean into that and learn like for me, um, this, this thinking repressed stance, I have tried to frame, to learn how to think better. Like when I notice that my thoughts are getting a little bit silly, I am trying to learn how to reframe it to say, no, you, you don't need someone to tell you that, that you are not inadequate, that you are good enough, that you can handle the situation. You know, this, you know, this, so stopping it, you know, stop, stop this silly silliness. Um, that doesn't mean I don't still seek out others, but I think when you know, which muscle you need, you know, it's kind of like, um, when you have, uh, I was, this is why this is on my mind. I was talking about this with a friend today. Um, I had hip surgery when I was 18 and I did not walk on one of my legs fully for almost three months. So when I got off of my crutches, the muscles on that leg were very underdeveloped or not underdeveloped. They had gotten floopy, right? Because they weren't, they, they weren't used at, at all. And so I had to relearn how to use those muscles properly and build up that side of my body more than I did on my left side. Cause my left side had been working. So that's how I think of this repression thing. When you know where you're repressed, you can work on properly building that muscle, if you will. And that's kind of a bunch of, of metaphors, but that's how I envision it. It's just a muscle that you have that you need to work on using properly and growing in the right way. And, and just because you're thinking, feeling, or doing repressed doesn't mean you don't have that skill. You just got to practice it. Right. T just means you aren't inherently good at it. You have it. Yeah. It's not that good at it. You just got to develop it. You just got to. And I think in our, in our world, in our society, especially we are so focused on the things that we're good at, you know, like we, we often have trouble saying what we need help with or making mistakes or admitting when something doesn't work or when we aren't, um, when we're not automatically good at something. So it feels pretty natural to shy away from what feels uncomfortable like this or for like, I know that I would get really frustrated when I was in physical therapy that I could not balance on my right leg forever. And I would just want to not want to do it. And my physical therapist would be like, well, if you don't do it, it's never going to get better. Like you're always going to not be able to do this. So it's not that you can't do it. It just doesn't come as naturally to you as the other, the one, the stances in which you're not repressed. That almost got dicey. Um, and so you just kind of got to, uh, be really intentional, intentional. Oh my gosh. T the English language is just words are hard. I'm going to start. I'm they are hard. I'm going to start saying nuclear in a minute. So you just need to be intentional or I, I know I try to be intentional about recognizing when my week, when my, when my, like when my T-Rex arms of my muscles show up, my little, my little tiny muscle arms (laughs) and just try to 
Man, I, I must, I'm, I'm a visual thinker. Can anybody tell that I think in a very visual way? So, uh, you just gotta, just gotta lean on in and cause growth happens when you lean on into discomfort, right? Growth does not happen when things are easy. Do you know how much I hate that a lot, but right. T growth doesn't happen when you're just like cruising in your kayak in the middle of the very smooth river. That's right. So using the stances and what we know about the stances to help determine your type, you can ask yourself, where do I feel the most comfortable hanging out? Is that the past, the present, or the future? Or if you recognize one of the, the stand, um, Or if you recognize one of the centers of intelligence that you are not inherently good at, whether that's thinking, feeling, or doing, that's a good indicator that you may be one of the types within the corresponding stance. And then, but going back to the orientation to time, we like, like we can all use the, all three centers of intelligence. We can also all recall the past, be present and think about the future or plan for the future or be forward thinkers. However, there's one of those places that if we're just being chill, we like to hang out better. It feels more comfortable, comfortable to be in one of those spaces. So look out for that. And then, um, you can also use that to go back and narrow down where your core type is. Solid, solid. And I think stances can sometimes get a little bit confusing. So if you have questions about stances, um, please let us know. We're collecting questions to answer in a Q&A episode. So we would love to know. And if you're having trouble determining what your stance might be, um, just kind of notice when you're in a good, like if you don't know your type yet, when you're in a good place, just kind of see where your brain's going with orientation to time. Like, are you, like Taryn said, like, where are you comfy? Where do you have your Snuggie on? And then go from there. And if any of you actually have a Snuggie, please send us those pictures because I really value Snuggie pictures. I have one, it's bubblegum pink in case you needed to know that. I don't think mine is called a Snuggie. I think it's called a cuddle wrap, like the off brand of Snuggie. And it, it has like a lighthouse scene on it, but it's a very nice feeling fleece blanket that has buttons and a zipper. I, I really enjoy this. One of my parents went through, I think it was my dad went through a big, um, as seen on TV buying spree. Um, or shopping the QVC channel. So I think that's the Christmas that our Snuggies materialized. Um, I have seen, have you seen that thing, Taryn, where it's like a, it's like a tube. It's like a stretchy. I mean, it's like a squeeze shoot, but it's a blanket for a person. Like it's, it's like a tight body sock kind of thing, but it's a blanket and it's supposed to calm you down. I think it's kind of like those jackets you put on dogs that squeeze them when it's thundering. Hug. Like they're getting, you're getting a hug. 
Yeah, it is. That's exactly, it's like a full body hug, but it's like a spandexy type. Uh, so maybe, maybe that's your, your snuggy, your whatever. Um, your huggy. <laughs> okay. Friends, this, this might be getting a little weird. <laughs> Please send us pictures of your chosen relaxation blanket situation. Maybe don't, um, because we shouldn't be soliciting pictures from our listeners, but, um, I don't think we have a ton more to say about stances. This is a pretty short and sweet episode because stances are pretty straightforward, but they can be very, just because they're straightforward doesn't mean that they're not very illuminating. Um, and it's also, to me, it's really helpful to realize that not everybody spends their, like has the same orientation to time. That kind of blew my mind when I first learned about the Enneagram, like, wait, there's people who are happy living in the past or anticipating the future. Like, Oh, guys freak me out, but there are. That's all I got. I was All right. FAQs while we were recording too. But I have had on my mind. Well, I think we can uh, wrap it up. So, um, what's our next episode after this one? T is it the the type the live typing session? Yeah, but I don't know who we're gonna. Who are we gonna? That. Oh, you know what? I had, do you follow KT Dowson on Instagram? Mm, No, but I think I know who you're talking about. I think I've seen stuff of hers that people shared. She just reached out about, um, she thought she was an eight, but now she's feeling like she might be a three. So maybe I could, I, I told her, like she reached out about like coaching and I told her I could, I ha- I'm offering typing sessions or coaching packages. And she messaged back this morning and said she'd be interested in a typing session. I wonder if she would be interested in coming on air with us and doing the typing session. I would love if somebody would, did Michaela ever figure out what she was? Um, I think we figured it out when she was like, she said, when you guys are ready to do a typing session, um, let me know and I'll come on. And I was like, I'm pretty sure we determined that you're a six when we were skiing, but I'll ask her too, if she feels like if she feels good in that sixness and then we all just put her on the list for a guest, a six guest, but I'll ask Michaela first. And then if she isn't comfortable, then we can have her come on for the typing session. But uh, then, and then if she is, then I'll just put her on the list for another episode. And I'll ask Katie. Okay. That sounds good to me. Or a long time ago, we had, um, oh, that's Chelsea had messaged our type it out page and was wondering about doing a typing session, but I'm pretty sure she figured out in the meantime that she is an eight, but I could reach out to her too. Yeah. It's funny how many people go ahead. Moral of the story is next episode typing session. (laughs) Okay. Let me sign this off and then we can chat. 
Okay, friends. So that is the last of our, our episodes for you to determine your type. Again, questions, let us know. Our next episode, we are going to do a typing session live and on air. I mean, live as we're doing it. And then you listen to it after we've recorded it, but we are going to do a typing session in action. So you can see how these questions are applied in a, an actual situation, help somebody determine their type. So we're really excited for that. Um, this is with a, a to be announced guest. We're just trying to build anticipation of the fabulous person who's going to come on. And by fabulous, I mean, fabulous and also brave. This is going to be really fun. So, um, please, oh, please, as usual, rate us. If you, if you give it, get, I was going to say rate us if you want, but no rate us. If you're going to give us five stars, let's get real. Um, those are the ratings that we would like. I'm just being honest with you. I'm being honest with you. And as always, um, refer your friends and your family who love the Enneagram or who you, who you want to love the Enneagram to us to listen and just, uh, let us know how that goes. Okay. Friends, I'm going to stop rambling. Have a wonderful day. And thank you for listening. I don't have final thoughts. Uh, final thoughts. So this is stress and security. No. Um, let's see. How can we do that? Yes. I need to talk to a six who rage cleans because I would imagine we range we rage clean for different reasons. I actually get kind of excited when I get that energy because then I put on my headphones and listen to loud music and I clean so much more quickly and thoroughly. The only problem is that my family knows they had better just get out of my way, which is not a good thing. But if we could like establish that it's easier for me to clean with everybody out of my way anyway, anyway, that's a whole separate conversation. How do you clean?